throwing down? You smell what I'm stepping in? He's very persnippity about this quality stuff. Whitefish whiskey. That's just weird. It's so far away. Do I, do I get a glass? Nope. No. I got a beer right here. You gonna do it for the boiler maker? I don't know. Do you want to open it up? Should we? Yeah. Probably. So who's this from? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it kind of does if we want more. Oh. Hey, everybody. We don't know who you were that sent this. We don't really care, but thanks for the liquor. Oh, are we starting the podcast? You're making all kinds of noise, you know. Sorry. Ooh. It had a nice little pop to it. Yeah. So our drink sponsor this time around is uh, Mr. Jason Bigler over there at Morph Mixology. Oh, Jason's done a pretty good job of uh, on his channel recently, and Garrett's getting up to pour me a glass of this stuff that he sent us. Jason, thank you very much. Um, it's Whitefish Whiskey. It's from the town of Whitefish, Montana, I'm assuming. I've actually played shows in Whitefish, Montana with my band back in the day, and we uh, the promoter stiffed us. We had to go chase him down the next morning, and he tried to pay us in quarters. It was pretty amazing. Uh, there was also a lot of other cool things. I don't know if amazing happened. is the word. I use <laughs> well, when I, when I use the word amazing, it's usually, it has a, I know amazing has a good connotation, and I do use it that way, but I also use amazing when things are not going so well. In like amazing I'm in am amazement at how badly they're going. Like I am 100% amazed that this is going this poorly. I could have never imagined that it would go this bad type of <laughs> amazement. <laughs> well, Let's podcast. Thank yeah. you, Jason. Yeah, thank Cheers. you, Jason. The, the one thing I'd like to point out is this whiskey is clear. Yeah, it looks like vodka or moonshine is yeah, what I was saying. I, I'm confused it a little like bit. It looks like water. It looks like water. I think he drank the bottle, put water in, and was like, ha ha. That sounds like a Jason Bigler thing to do. <laughs> mm, it does not smell like water. No, it doesn't smell like whiskey either. Jason, what are you making us drink? It kind of smells like some kind of cleaning agent. It does. It smells like moonshine, bro. That, that tastes like vodka. 100% tastes like vodka. That does not taste like whiskey. Does that taste like whiskey to you? Does no. that taste like any whiskey you've ever drank in your life? Not at all. No, that's vodka. Definitely oh, does have a Oh, it says, I'm just reading the bottle now. It says contraband whiskey. Okay, what does that mean? It means moonshine. Oh, Garrett. Gosh, love it, bro. Garrett, the noisemaker. <laughs> it's, um... It's contraband. With it's moonshine. That's what it is. That's why it's clear. That's why it Holy tastes crap. like vodka or rubbing alcohol. I'm cleaning it. Yeah, rubbing alcohol is probably. I've not that I've ever tried that. So this is gonna be the wow. last time that uh, we like, allow Jason. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it has like a burn that's continuing continuing to build here. It's like a mild Everclear. I don't know why everybody uh, wants to get me plastered all the time. You you were the one that had the idea that we should have a drink sponsor. And that's just for free stuff, you know. Oh right, right, right. Ooh, we also have the idea of doing what a uh, sponsors to location location sponsor. sponsor. <laughs> Fly us to your location, and we will come podcast wherever you happen to be located. All you have to do is uh, give Garrett a little foot rub, 
and um, I just need a little tickling behind the ears. Other than that, we're good. <laughs> yeah, we actually have our first one. I don't want to talk about who it is until until they come through. So that's a good good call. If you're listening, you know who you are. You know who you are. But yeah, I mean, so my thing is like, here we are. We're gonna podcast. You live in California. I live in Pittsburgh, and I was basically like. Yeah, this will be great. We'll have a phone call and record it. And of course, this guy over here, Mister, what do you, what, how do you refer to yourself? I, I like, <laughs> I like it to sound way. good. I don't, I want it to sound good because it is a podcast, so I want it to sound good. And I feel like over the phone wasn't going to be that good, and I wouldn't have as much control. Like even here, you're still knocking things over on the table and creating all this unnecessary noise, which is fine. You can't plan for this, right? This guy right here. <laughs> Exactly. Who makes noise on the podcast? <laughs> this guy. Who says pa Oh, it's not even working because I have this awesome screen. <laughs> this guy. Yeah. Anyway. I'm I'm kinda I'm liking it, but it's better if I can watch it happen. Because if I just hear you making the noise from across the way, I feel like I'll I'll lose my mind and I, I won't be able to <laughs> Well, basically, like, I have a mic, you have a mic. I was thinking, just record it and put together. Holy crap, dude, this stuff is pretty strong. <laughs> anyway, we both have mics. We could just do the sound and put it together, and it would be a, a, a multi-coastal podcast. But, of course, Brian, being the kind of hippie that he is, had to vibe on me. Has to have, like, the physical vibes bouncing off of me onto him. To be in the podcast kind of a mood. We talked about this before. I know you don't remember anything from the last podcast, but we <laughs> did talk true. about this. Well, okay, so skip all that then. Skip ahead to the part where oh. locational sponsor. And we're also so, not doing this podcast in order. We're actually filming this before we do episode three, but this is episode four. Because we want, we're going to be talking about Tinley. Me. I lost you? No, I mean, it was my idea. I didn't know our episodes had numbers. I thought we were on like 37. Seems like we've been doing this forever. <sighs> <laughs> Anyways, yes. So basically, the idea is we're going to podcast together. We are together because Brian is making his annual pilgrimage to Pittsburgh, land of his forefathers, to ride with me to Tinley Park for, you know, obviously the NARBC reptile show. But uh, I don't know when you guys are listening to this. We are podcasting this now before the show. But since the. Uh, content of our podcast is just total bs all the time it's timeless it's timeless entertainment and so we're gonna go ahead and can this one and throw it somewhere with all its vibes in a can somewhere on the shelf and then we're going to record another one what are we doing sunday night after, yeah, after the, show, the show right because we both are workaholics apparently and then we will as take... he checks his phone <laughs> i know well i have this side deal going on so. <laughs> anyway um yeah, so we are going to uh, record one after the Tinley show and then release that one pretty quick. Just so it stays relevant to the Tinley show, right? Since right. It'll be airing like literally the week after the Tinley and show. And the idea is you can come here and hear the backstory that you didn't get to hear on everybody's more professional platforms than ours. So stay tuned for that. I don't have to say that, though, because you're going to hear that before this. And so, so listen to that and then stay tuned for this. <laughs> I want to emphasize the fact that this is a non-professional platform. This is that was the idea. That was my main drive to want to do this with you was that it was going to be 100% non-professional. I got my interviews on Triple B TV that are 100% like I try to keep them as pre professional as possible, with the exception of the bloopers, which get a little silly, of course, because I can't be 100% serious about anything ever. And then the vlog, of course, I keep very family friendly and. 
but still professional in a way that I do understand that there's many young children listening to the podcast. This guy has like <laughs> shots of him showering and pooping and stuff on there. It's very professional. But no, you're right. I mean, like the idea is we flip it, right? So we both are professionals this in the is reptile a spot industry. From- and everyone else gets to be unprofessional in their reptile pursuits. We have to do it professionally, so this is our chance to unwind. Yes, this is my chance to just let whatever comes out of my mouth come out of my mouth and not think twice about it. I'm going to put a little more of this moonshine in my mouth and mm, not yeah. think about it. Uh, <sighs> I don't the first sip tastes like soap, and then it starts to kind of ruminate. Yeah, this is horrible. It's pretty I, bad. I like it a little bit after, but it sits there and burns on you for like two minutes. I mean, oh. doesn't it taste like soap? It does a bit. It's very, very. Okay, okay. I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. We need to sit down and have a word with our drink sponsors here. So the idea is obviously all the drink sponsorships should be pit- shipped to Pittsburgh, not whatever city Brian lives in. <laughs> but um, yeah, give me something you're going to like. I mean, I'm all down for like, you know, moonshine, but. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Gonna, is, we, we poured some really big glasses here. I was being optimistic. And you were being extremely optimistic. So, for those of you who can't see this, I now have a mason jar full. <laughs> but for those of you that do want to see this, we're actually filming video as well. So we're going to be putting this video up on both of our channels somewhere. Some portions of this video somewhere. If you want to see the setup we've got going on, which is pretty cool, actually. It's Even nice I, for a non-professional setup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It um it looks pretty decent. It looks like an electrical octopus on this table. <laughs> oh man, plus some whitefish whiskey, which really should just be called moonshine. Which is it contraband whiskey? I didn't read that at first. I was trying to read for tasting notes. I I don't know why we're talking about it so much. Probably because it sucks. Oh, I <laughs> I appreciate the sponsorship. Yeah. I do too. Even though it's not and my favorite. I'm going to drink it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I'm also drinking it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to waste it. <laughs> I'm not going to. I'm not going to waste it. I'm just saying, I'm not really <laughs> enjoying it as much as I've enjoyed basically any other whiskey I ever drank in my life. Yeah. So, <laughs> which has been a lot. The fun thing about it. This is what I like. This and the locational sponsor thing. I think most people get sponsors, you know, to kind of like help make money and, and the channel and all that. And I, I mean, maybe we'll do that at some point or whatever, but our sponsors are just to have fun with our stupid, crazy ideas. Yes. Like Brian's needing to vibe from the same room, but we figured like right here, we're in my reptile room. We have now recorded one in your reptile room. And the idea is we could be coming to a reptile room very near you, our listener, right? And the idea is like, you know, buy me a ticket, him a ticket, you know, some money for a hotel, food, whatever. And we will come vlog at your (laughs) or vlog. We'll come podcast at your house. And I'm fine with a couch, too. You know, I'm not picky. Oh, no. Yeah, that's fine. But I, I, you know, I think basically we just need to set up our, our podcast sponsor package and you get on there and we'll come do it at your place and... And you'll probably get a vlog out of it, maybe to our Triple B TV interview or I don't oh, know. Oh, sure. You're definitely at least going to get a shout out on here and a fun weekend. So like I said, it's not really to make the money. It's just to be kind of ridiculous. Now, you were telling me that before you were like, we should get a sponsor to go to Australia. And then the next thing I know, I hear you're going to Australia. Yeah, that's uh, that's happening. I was pretty well. It's probably at this point. Yeah, it's still happening. At, as far as when this episode is coming out, I haven't gone yet. Yeah, so 
I, I also realized I, sh I made a vlog video about it and I shouted out the wrong show that was actually bringing us over. I said Sydney when it, it turns out it's the Permnith show. Oh, oops. Um, so that's the, that's the appropriate show. I'll, I'll, I'll make a fix to it on the video as well. But yeah, oops. <laughs> that's okay. Me, uh, my family is uh, McWarries and we prefer Sydney anyway. Do you know any of the history of that city? I just know the basic history of Australia. That is where England would send their um, undesirables. And then Australia is very proud to have made a great country out of that be uh, humble beginning, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So all the Australians I have met have been awesome. My grandmother's, I think it's like great grandfather or whatever. I, maybe we should do the heartalization thing here. But anyway, uh, my grandmother's great grandfather, what whatever. Mean? You're making this up. Is that what that means? No, just don't fact check me, Tim. <laughs> every time i podcast i get texts about fact checks and i'm like guys this is i mean it's mostly true it's it's intended to be true it's not like i'm intentionally lying i just forget things and details that aren't important aren't important like how many generations ago was this i don't know but my grandmother's maiden name was Ms. worry which changed from mcwarry and if you know anything about sydney it was founded by basically the english government's last governor was this Scottish dude that was my great-great-grandfather or whatever sent over to kind of like, you know, govern the, what did you call them? The people they don't want? <laughs> I said undesirables. Yeah, the undesirables. So they're like, here, govern these undesirables. And he's like, forget that. I'm letting you all free. And they named everything in Sydney after him. He, he did had a hand in the city planning and all that kind of stuff. So that's that pretty cool. Great-great-grandpa. Awesome, man. Yeah, that was kind of fun. I didn't know that until like five years ago. My my grandmother's brother was telling me all about it. I was like, why doesn't grandma tell me these things? That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Well, I'll have to. Uh, I don't, again, we're not going to Sydney. I don't think, but I I don't know anything about. It. All I know is that I'm going potentially, and <laughs> <laughs> I really just want to see a. I really want to see a a thorny devil. Because yeah. I, I looked at those things. I don't know if you ever saw those life books. You probably did. Life the time life books. And they had like an amphibians version and a reptiles um, volume. And they just had all these awesome pictures of like, I remember looking at like marine iguanas and uh, two-legged lizards and, and all these things like that. And the thorny devil was one of the pictures I'd look at and be like, that thing is insane. Look like the thorns. It looks like big thorns coming off its face and its entire body. And I guess yeah, it they, they look scorched. like a stalk of a rose, like a gnarly rose stem or right. something. But it's a lizard. And that's one of the things Dave mentioned that we will po po possibly see. So that's like the Dave? one thing. I'm, Dave Kaufman. Oh, you're going with Dave Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The details are coming out. Uh, yeah. that's, uh, he's the one that kind of threw my name into the basket as somebody to go. There you go. Yeah. So with the show promoters. Thank you, Dave. That are bringing you over. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's that's freaking epic. Australia is on my bucket list, like everybody else in the world. But I've been closer than most, and not have gone. <laughs> so living in Indonesia, I was like, oh, there it is over there. I should go. You can almost see it. Yeah, I've been to Indonesia a couple times as well, and never made it. Met a lot further. of people from Australia in Indonesia, but yeah, that's true. Was that Bali? Yes. Yeah, Bali is like the. So I grew up in Southern California, and like Tijuana, Mexico was where we would all go to be stupid and everything. And that's where all the Australians go, to Bali, to go be stupid and have a vacation in a third world country. Yeah, I definitely gathered that while I was there. Well, the funny thing was they all get in trouble for everything with like really strict punishments, and then it becomes this political issue. So that doesn't seem like the country you'd want to go to, but that's where they go. Oh, this is a Crown Royal tumbler. 
Mm. I so. think the Canadians are rolling over in their... <laughs> that you put this this stinking Montana <laughs> contraband whiskey in there. I do love Montana. I will say that. The I last love. time we were drinking, you had some fancy cup like that, too. Now, the funny thing is, I didn't even know that I had a fancy cup. And you found one, and I'm over here drinking out of a mason jar. Last time I was at your house, I was drinking out of a snake water dish. Well, I was expecting whiskey, and but you got the appropriate glass for what this actually is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You did. Beat ya. Ha ha. Um, you can't prepare for this. <laughs> so, yeah, so on, apparently Garrett and I, just we just are in a constant battle to win at everything, whether it's picking the right glass or being right about what actually happened two seconds ago. Which is great, because I'm always winning. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you don't remember what actually happened doesn't mean... It's oh the greatest benefit. This is what we need witnesses select, for. We call it selective memory. Mm. The stuff I like sticks. The rest goes into that void after the seventh concussion. <laughs> and Tim pulls them back out. No, that's wrong. Get that out of there. I'm like, Quit dusting the cobwebs off my memories. Like, you're the one that had me do that interview. You don't remember being the one to recommend that I do that interview. With who? Uh. <laughs> God. See, I, now you're you're trudging into the territory that my wife is at, where she plants memories that I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. She's <laughs> like, no, no, you said that, honey. You just don't remember. I'm like, oh, dirty trick. Dirty. I don't remember, but I remember not remembering that because it didn't actually happen. Yeah, it might not have. It might have been the opposite way that it happened. I just talked to you about it. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. It hasn't aired yet So as we're recording this, so I don't really know what's going to happen. I imagine there's going to be a crazy amount of blowback, which I'm not looking forward to. I probably wouldn't read any of the comments on it. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Well, so for our poor listeners, don't know what we're talking about. Basically, didn't you just interview someone in the reptile industry that is controversial in some circles? Not everywhere, but he is controversial in some circles. I found that um, many people in the industry don't even know him. So No, it's like reticulated python people. Right. That's it. And now that I've said that, everyone knows who it is. But basically, yeah, he's controversial in some circles. And, and you interview everybody at these shows. And he was vending. And you interviewed him. And, and I don't know. Where are you at with that? Well, it's just I, I didn't know... I wouldn't know who he was if it wasn't for the amount of attention that the retail community puts out about him. I would have Which no idea. Which is really idea. funny because that's, I mean, it's that old uh, situation where you're promoting somebody that you don't want to by talking a bunch of drama all the time. Right? I brought up that point, but uh, I mean, I, I realize not everybody understands that or realizes that it is as much as you're wanting that person to not be there or when you bring up their name constantly, you're promoting them and that's what it did for me i wouldn't i would have no idea who that was i would not even have any interest to interview him other than everybody made such a big deal about him being at the show such a huge deal you know putting pamphlets on people's cars and uh oh my goodness like stuff like that i was like i need i'm the type of person that i need to hear the story from the mouth of the person who's you know i don't i whatever is, is that true what the interview not, was was it, was, did you go over like, hey, how I asked so two questions. It was another one of those interviews. You know how a lot of my interviews go, like when I interviewed Forrest, when I interviewed uh, my buddy Enrico, you know, uh, there's a lot of people I interview. I, I have this thing, whatever. I can ask one to two questions and I get a whole life story of things. And this was another one of those. I literally asked two questions. 
It's because nobody else asks us anything about ourselves, Brian. The only one, the only one is for our reptiles. Oh my God. I just want to listen. I want to know. You're the first one who cared. Oh my God. Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, no, I just, I let, I asked two questions and, and let him explain um, what his side of the, what, what his experience was, what his side of the story was, and just left it at that. You know, it's plain and simple. I just wanted to know. I wanted to hear it since I've heard it from so many other people. Well, you know that what that makes me want to do. What? Watch your interview and then stop supporting you. <laughs> that's what I'm imagining. That's what I'm imagining, like, uh, several of the comments would be, I can't believe you interviewed this guy. There's going to be a, a number of things. I can't believe you interviewed that guy. I lost all respect I had for you, and in which case, I don't really care because if that's all it takes. But I viewed, I didn't liked, want it. commented, and hit the notification bell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, the funny thing is you and I are both the kind of people that just don't care. It's like, who cares? You know, like, I don't know. Not that I don't care about things. I definitely care about things. I, def- I care about the, the, sometimes the topics that make things become controversial is what you care about. But the actual subject of the controversy, you just don't like, just go on with your life. You know what I mean? Have some fun. So... I don't know. That's that's how I feel about it. But I other people. I, that's all right. Everybody's entitled to their opinion, and uh, obviously, if just if don't whatever, chase me with it. Don't chase me with your opinion. <laughs> when I when I at the point where I'm like, that's nice. You do you. I'll do me. That's that's that. I mean, if whatever if whatever went down the way that it was said to have gone down, then yeah, but then the, you have every right to be how feel however you feel about that for sure. And I obviously would feel. That being super vague. I was just thinking, we're talking about this thing for 10 minutes without saying what it is. Now everyone's going to flood over to Triple B TV on YouTube to wait for it to come out. Yeah, well, I mean... You need to release it, like, the day after this podcast Well, that's, that's actually <laughs> roughly the time that it... Because I, I let the interviews out in the order that they were recorded. You know, I'll, I'll be in a oh, show okay. and I'll record, like, 10 interviews. And right. so that's a once one a week, so 10 interviews, you know, over the course. Months. That'll be a month a month and a half, two and a half months. And then add in the fact that I'm airing the Herpeton talks every other week that expands that out even further. You know, right. if I do four interviews at Tinley, it's going to be two months until the last interview goes out because I'm doing the Herpeton talks in between the interviews. So, yeah. Don't, don't belch this stuff. I'm not planning on it. You let, I didn't know what you're doing. If you're about to puke or no, fall over. Or... No, I kind of feel like I want to. <laughs> I brought backup. So I wouldn't, if, in case I didn't like it. I want some backup. Well, we've we've got a uh, Mr. Brian Gundy sitting back here. He's hey, kind of. You want to grab me a Yingling out of that mini fridge over there? Brian Gundy, the silent supporter <laughs> of searchable as reptiles, we silently lurking under the table at all times, waiting to spring to action. <laughs> Brian, Brian is one of the most awesome people. Now that he's left the room. I feel like I can talk about him. He's one of the most awesome men that I've ever met in this, not just in this industry or hobby, but just in general, in life. Well, we know how you feel about awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Is <laughs> was awesome. that the word you were saying? Awesome? How you use that word? Yeah. It was yeah. awesome? I use that word a or, lot. No, what did you say about the getting paid in oh, quarters? Oh, was amazing. That awesome? Amazing. Oh, amazing. Yeah, no. yeah. Fog- yeah, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use that for Brian because I, I never take awesome over to the, the negative connotation. <laughs> awesome only stays positive. I'm glad we're learning the rules. Yeah. The rules are important. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, those I usually put rules in the foggy part too. So, mm. so 
my summer is pretty much done after this weekend. And there's a Herculean effort that, you know, I'm about to go through with this kind of stuff. But and I guess by the time we're listening to it, summer is well over. So by the time all you guys are going to listen to this podcast, I will be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, hoping some females lay some eggs for me because I'm out of animals and I'm working on the business and not in the business. Tis the season. So does that mean we're going to be seeing some videos? And you might see some more videos. I actually have, so yes, videos, um, and I have a, quite a to-do list with my videos, but I have some other stuff in the works too that I think will be pretty fun. So now you don't, I mean, you obviously are a snake breeder and stuff, but me working with one species and that being the majority of my income at this point is from the actual sale of babies that are produced, right? Um, that's very seasonal, especially my stuff. At least any of the stuff that people call me for and want in the first place, that kind of stuff sells out of the egg. You know what I mean? Sometimes I think people ask for stuff by name and they're actually wanting something other than what they ask for, but that's okay. I mean, that's just a familiarity thing with, you know, with my animals, my bloodlines, all that kind of stuff. So but at any rate, yeah, so it's it's very seasonal. So I'm I'm sitting over here with like nothing to do. And the funny thing is I'm still getting, you know, those hundreds of messages across various various platforms a day. They're all asking for something. I tell them all no and and that's that. But um I love it. I know you don't want to talk about business, but I love the side of trying to like what do you do in the in the off times? Well, what keep... is it? What are you going to say? What it is you you have planned other than making videos or are you just going to Well, I mean, no, we can talk. Well, so like the videos don't actually make me money, really. I mean, I mean there's a little bit of YouTube money. So like for those who want to know, I think at the moment I'm right somewhere around 10,000 subs and I put up about a video a week and I I've made oh gosh, I I monetized maybe like eight months ago or something. And I've made like 700 bucks total. Mm -hmm. So you're making less than hundred bucks a month. I mean, it's not even pay for your cell phone bill, you know, but, uh, so it's, it's pretty piddly, but where YouTube makes me money is simply marketing and exposure. Right. I mean, people get to see the animals. So they feel comfortable buying something online after they've seen it in video. You can get a lot closer than your traditional classified ad. Right. So, that's where they make me the money. I'll, I'll be making that, but I'm not trying to drive interest in babies during the off season. I kind of have enough as it is, but I'm trying to, so because we specialize in only the dwarf and super dwarf retics, they're relatively unknown. They're very underrepresented in literature. And so I'm trying to bring a, a wealth of that kind of stuff to it. And it's, it's been really fun. So on one hand, I'm building brand stuff and trying to get support in the way a lot of people do it, like merch and swag and things like that. And we're going to do our own versions of things, just like I have my own version of shipping, my own version. Oh, is this the like the care booklets you're talking about? That's part of it, yes. Well, the, the merch and the swag is one thing. So working on like kind of like an online store with different cool stuff. Um, and then... Oh, like the, downloadable care sheets and... No, that's part of So I want like actual physical, like, you know, people buy the shirts. They buy, you know, whatever you want to buy. So there's going to be merchandise to buy through an online store. That's one of the things that I'm working on. And just like everything, I can't do it sm small. So it's a big thing to get started. But the other thing you're talking about is downloadable 
information, like, you know, your care sheets and, and stuff like that. But I want to go beyond care sheets. And so, you know, what I've done is I've, I've hired a, a wildlife biologist that I'm working for that's helping me author this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm working with uh, il professional illustrators, my dad being one of them, who was, you know, he's an animator, did the Bugs Bunny like cartoon. Hanna-Barbera and stuff, right? I don't know. Or yeah, well, he's done, like, Film Roman or the guys that did The Simpsons. He-Man? Yeah, he did He-Man. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Animaniacs. He's like, so he's like kind of my childhood hero, your dad. <laughs> yeah, really. Johnny Bravo, if anyone remembers Mighty Max. I liked that one. Um, but yeah, so anyways, he's obviously a good artist. So he kind of helped me develop a style and everything. And then, uh, yeah, so so these are going to be my goal. You know, everything is like old school blue collar stuff with me. So my goal is like that 1969 Chevy pickup that I have for a shop truck. If you can imagine the original pamphlet you would pick up at the dealership explaining all the different engine options and stuff back in 1969 or, or whatever the case may be, I want it to look like that. So it has solid information. And illustration. Tons of illustration. And, and then it's fun at the same time. And then the illustrations are working double duty for me where those illustrations will go on the merchandise as well. So, yeah, it's been really fun. And it's, you know, huge upfront cost and all that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm really hoping that, that it'll be something that people want to get behind because... Um, yeah, you're, you're really good at that stuff, man. I, I definitely don't have the mind, I don't think, for that level of marketing type. And, and just the ideas that come out of your head are pretty, pretty incredible, I'd say. Like, they're very innovative. They, I'm, I'm really having a hard time stroking your ego here because I don't want to do that because your ego is already big enough. No. <laughs> but, no. but you do a really good job. I mean, you, you probably, you're winning at it. Like, I don't think anybody markets quite as well as you or, or just the way your booth. I mean, if anybody's walked by your booth, it's obvious. It's like, this is, it's like almost like you're walking into a store at a mall when you walk into your booth at the show. And now this is aired after the fact. It's not a surprise. You have a freaking Harley Davidson motorcycle for kids to take pictures on at your booth. That no, who else has done that? Uh, I don't know. I don't think anybody. nobody. Yeah, nobody. So I'm sure if Harley Davidson went to a trade show, they would have that. Yeah, yeah, I know. But that's <laughs> well, that's my competition. I'm taking down Harley Davidson. Yeah, well, that's. Joe I mean, is next. Whatever you want to say about, it, I know the amount of work that goes into doing something like that, and it's. Uh, I don't know. It's very inspiring for me just to see the things that you do. And um, God damn it, I hate freaking saying nice things about you. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I don't think it's necessarily special. It's just different than what most people have in this industry. In other industries, there are a lot of people that are like that. Sure. In this industry, I mean, you're you can't tell me that you don't sit around and have those like light bulb moments and then run down and take a note somewhere or oh, start yeah. on a new video maybe or whatever the case may be. Sure, it mostly goes into the video stuff for, yeah, for sure. Right. So you're sit. I mean, the it it's amazing to me when you watch. Like I've been watching YouTube longer than I've been putting videos on it, and when you start making videos and like actually uploading them getting through all of the reality, the steps that it takes to do that, you start to have a lot of respect. And you watch YouTube in a way that you never have before either. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy puts a lot of work into these videos, you know? And, and then like you said, for some of us, the ideas themselves are hard. 
you know, like coming up with original ideas and things to make your look just sometimes they're really small, but they took a huge mental and, and preparational effort and, uh, only certain audiences will ever appreciate that. So anyway, what I, all I'm doing is just communicating what I'm thinking to other people and trying to get them on board. Right. Yeah. Well, again, I, I think you're doing a fantastic job at it, man. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool to watch. Pretty cool to see. And fun to be a part of just by being here and watching it happen and kind of being closer in the process than just completely outside. You know, I get to kind of see the inner workings of it and it's, uh, again, inspirational. Good stuff. I'll tell you what, I think you and I, as far as career paths within reptiles are kind of exploding in parallel ways in a lot of ways. So what's some of the fun new stuff that you've been getting into? Oh, uh, this <laughs> this yingling black and tan versus that moonshine, way way more. Yeah, this is nicer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pittsburgh, we're, we're a little more laid back. How oh, those guys in Montana, man, they know how to drink. It's like, <laughs> we ran out of booze again. Go drain something out of the tractor and drink it. Yeah, no. Uh, well, <laughs> to answer it, um, well, that was a serious answer. To be fair, but in other in other things. I haven't yet embarked on it, but I did book um, my first school assemblies for the reptile presentations. Right. Which I imagine is going to be incredible. I'm presenting to about a thousand kids in a day. And uh, well, how many times like do you have to do a show in a day? Because obviously it's not a thousand at once, no, right? No. It's like three, four, four, five in a row. Four in a row, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. I can't imagine what it's going to be. I imagine it's going to be amazing. Versus, I'm just imagining that I'm going to be soaking up this energy from these kids. I know I have to put out energy as well to do it, but maybe not so much. I feel like I'm more going to be feeding off the energy of the kids that are there. Because when you see, as many of us in this hobby slash industry know, when you see that leaf turning over in the kid's mind or just watching a kid get excited about that animal, it gives you energy. It gives me energy. So I'm, I'm imagining it's going to be like a hundred a thousand fold of that you yeah. know so uh, i don't know what to expect yet and it's it's interesting this podcast is probably is airing way after i've actually done that but do they give you this is actually a question i get asked a lot so i've done my share of educational programs in the past i don't do anything like that now but uh what kind of curriculum do they give you or do they because most of the time when i did it they're like well i don't know you're the reptile guy you don't have like a little spiel yeah no they're not I'm not relying on them for anything, no. Anything. They don't give you any direction. No, no. Because I have done the ones where they're like, okay, yeah, we're in science, and we're learning what makes a reptile different from a bird. So if you can talk about some of the distinguishing features that science, you know, that biologists would use to group the animal as oh, a no, reptile. That, that would be great. I'd love to have some kind of... <laughs> you <I'd> got love, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got nothing. It's just whatever whatever uh, I get up there and do and say. And I've, I've watched... Uh, you know, enough of uh, Mr. Gundy's presentations and Brandon's presentations to kind of have a good idea of what is going to work because they've been doing it for a long time and successfully. So they've been great Very mentors. successful. Very successful. Talk about both of those guys, yeah. Brandon Fowler and Brian Gundy. Yeah. So getting to watch them and do what they do at their shows um, has been definitely a good benefit to give me kind of an idea of where to take it that's going to work and, re- and um, resonate with the kids, you know. Yeah. Well, I think I think whether you're trying to take care of a new species of reptile for the first time, or you want to be a songwriter, or you want to do an educational program, or whatever it is, if you're trying to pick up a new, develop a new skill for the first time, you emulate the people that you respect who are doing it, 
And then once it encompasses, your comfort zone begins to encompass that new skill, I think where it really starts to get fun is putting your own twist to it. And that's kind of like where you're talking about with me with the advertising, the booth, you know, the Harley Davidson, um, the old school, like illustrated downloadable manuals and things like that, all about dwarf and super dwarf retics. That for me is putting my own spin on developing, excuse you, developing a, uh, a market, you know, and, and trying to actually advance and, and push, you know, the, the market for dwarf and super doors to where I would like it to be someday. Not as not in terms of money, but just in terms of like the way people think about keeping their animals really is the big thing. But but that's I'm putting my own twist on it. So it's really fun. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it is super cool to to try and you know th- throw some things out and see what sticks, right? So I'm looking forward to seeing where you get to when you get there with the the educational programs, what your twist is. Cause you're kind of an, a unique guy. Uh, my, my mom tells me that. Yeah. Why are we being so nice to each other? This time? <laughs> I don't know, dude. Like the pendulum is swinging the other way. <laughs> I don't like it. What did you put in this stuff? Jason Bigler <laughs> tastes like crap. Makes your roses come out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it's better than we gave it original credit for. Maybe it, back uh... to the yingling. <laughs> I'm doing both now. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, I'm I'm looking forward to everything that's that's coming up um, in in every kind of way. You know, there's I'm kind of on the precipice of everything happening. I mean, as as good as everything's going, like I also had to scramble pretty hard to pay for this month's rent, which is ridiculous. And you know, it's my own fault for not being as good with money as maybe I could or should be. But um, that is the fact of the matter. Uh, and But it feels good at the same time. Because even though it was a bit of a scramble, it still happened. And I'm not at any kind of point. I've been in way lower points in life, you know, where, I'm, where I don't have a place to live. And, uh, and stuff like that is happening. And uh, in comparison, I've got a beautiful family, um, a, a roof over our heads. We're not eating top ramen. I'm riding a one wheel, which is why I had problem paying rent this month. Because <laughs> you bought a one wheel? Is that those electric skateboard things? Yeah, the electric skateboard thing. Uh. <laughs> That's okay. I'm more than willing to admit that I'm far from perfect, whatever. You know, it's funny that we're recording this podcast on your new microphone setup. And so I was thinking in my head, this is why you can't pay your monster. And I was thinking, hey, at least you're reinvesting and pushing your little, business further. Little, and- just a little bit further into debt to acquire these microphones. <laughs> but the one wheel, the one wheel is what The one wheel, but when I was talking with my buddy Matt, your, our buddy Matt Bernardin, um, about this exact subject, he he brought up the point that you know, happiness kind of trickles down in the family. If I'm doing something that really brings me like pure joy and happiness, it kind of trickles down. And and he was right because I've had Hillary ride around on it and she's gotten great enjoyment out of playing with it. I've been using it to ride around and, and ride around with my boys and we go on rides all the time now. They're riding their bikes around the school and I'm following them around on this thing. And like it has enhanced the entire family's life. I don't know why you're yawning at me right now. I'm spilling my heart out to you, Hartle. not have it. What? No, it's, you're good. I'm so entertained. <laughs> This was this was a good investment. <laughs> no, yeah, so it was a good investment in my happiness, which is more important than I think some people give uh, happiness credit for. You know, there's there's 
a balance to life that you want to be financially stable. Sure. You want to have that, but you also want to have emotional stability and happiness. You always got to use that balance word against me, don't you? No, well, you're the one that brought it to my attention that I actually had it. I didn't realize <laughs> that I did until you observed it from the outside. Uh, so it's your own fault, Hartle. Yeah. But yeah, that there is that. And I think it's important to maintain that balance because, as we know, there are definitely people that are financially very well off and yet have sad lives in comparison to how well they're doing financially. Yeah, you, you, from the outside perspective, you see people that think on top of the world and then you hear they go do something terrible and off themselves or something, you know, because they just can't take the emptiness anymore. And they had everything they ever got, they ever wanted, you know. So, yeah, there's... Something to that. I think it's about contentment where you are, really. And it, like, I mean, I'm always chasing the next thing. Me too. That's why I'm here in Pittsburgh and not at home. Right. <laughs> right. Well, but I mean, like, I talk to my wife. I'm like, no, I could die tonight. It'd be fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure she loves to hear that. Yeah, she doesn't really like that. But I mean, from my perspective, it'd be cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, life well lived. That's, I mean, there is a, definitely a strong point there. As much as, that would not be good for your family. Um, they do. Luckily, you do have a support system beyond yourself. But just to have that kind of attitude, that mental attitude of you are living your life well, and that you can't have that feeling, you can't have that thought that you're having right now without knowing that you are living your life to its full potential and living every moment into where that's what I see at least. If you're gonna, if you can actually say that and feel that way, that if you could die tomorrow and be like, it's okay. Like you, you are living right life correctly, in my opinion, or in the way that is fulfilling your soul. Because if you're doing that, you you can be fine and and not make it to tomorrow and know that you've lived your life to its fullest potential. Well, here, so today we had a funny conversation. Someone told me they invested in a new reptile, and it was this reptile that was like. You shouldn't really breed that. Right? You didn't really think about breeding that when you bought it. You just liked it and had that money and spent it. That's not an investment, guys. And I was joking that people use the word investing in ridiculous scenarios when it comes to reptiles. And you're like, you've said that before. And my point was, no, it's very possible to invest in reptiles. But I think there's a lot more people that say, I invested in this. And they just bought something they liked. And it really is not an investment. But... From the one-wheel perspective, maybe that is kind of investment. So here's my question for you. Now you're making the shoe argument because you're making the argument that shoes could be investment. I was saying, no, shoes are not an investment. And uh, so now now I feel like with this one-wheel, what are you about to say? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, I had a question, not a point. I wanted to say, so here's a question for all of our listeners who have made <laughs> investments in reptiles <laughs> that are not giving them any money. By the way, just so you guys know, like if something takes money out of your paycheck every week, that's a liability. This is not an asset. This is not a good, it could have tried to be an investment, but it wasn't a good one if you're not making money out of it. On the other hand, maybe what you're doing is making a deposit in one part of your life to bring balance to another. So you being the Zen master of reptile balance family, one wheeling adventures, <laughs> How can those of us who have random reptile collections like yours that were definitely not put together with investing potential in mind? No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> very so, emotional. Yes, so, they're, they're very emotional. Some animals. of your no, some of your stuff was, and some of your stuff wasn't. But but my point is, like, um, 
how can how can people I guess use reptile keeping to find happiness? I think that's different for every person. I mean, I can answer that for myself. I can't answer that for anybody else. I mean, for well, me, when I'm hanging out with an animal, it's the same as if I was seven years old, my fa- first uh, first rat snake. I'm just older now, and I can, you know, things expand in, in life. At least they do in mine. And uh, it's that same moment that I find with, it, with an animal when I'm hanging out with it. I'm finding it strongest with the indigo snakes currently, most recently, is I sit there with the animal, and I just... I let it be, and I, I, I interact with it, and it, it crawls through my hands, and I, I get it to a point where we're doing this similar thing where it doesn't, it's not trying to get away from me. It's just hanging out with me. I'm checking it out. It's checking me out, and it sets my whole soul at ease. I, I don't really know how to describe it other than that. It, it does that for me. It's done that for me since I was a small child, and it's, it has not changed since then. It's that, and it, just because I have more of them, it's... Uh, part of this thing that we're in and I actually haven't other than the educational animals that have been um thankfully gifted to me for the for the educational shows I haven't purchased an animal since uh or acquired a new animal since probably those indigos those indigos those are the last animals I purchased um because I kind of found that spot and when I was jumping back into it moving back from Hawaii I was jumping back in head first you know getting it way into it and um now I'm at a point where I'm I'm not at that point where I'm just kind of content where I'm at. Um, so it's, it's for a while there, it was just getting, it was getting new animals. That was definitely the exciting thing. It was like, Oh, a new animal's coming in. And somehow, and I did say that the indigos were a dream snake and they have had been a dream snake. And it's interesting. I don't don't even think about it consciously. Those are the last animals I got. That was a long time ago now compared to how often I was getting as you also said, those are the ones that you're most connecting with. Maybe not the animal, but this sense of happiness or fulfillment in interacting with those animals. Yeah. So here's a here's something I think you did right on accident that a lot of people do wrong on purpose. Um, not about indigos, but just okay. So here's a question: You get back from Hawaii, you get back into reptiles, and and you're hitting it hard, right? It's like, yeah, I gotta have some more of that, right? And you're you're yes. you're tapping into a long neglected reptile fix and just going down that rabbit hole, right? Of buying more reptiles. Like we, I mean, a lot of us know what's that. Yeah, what that's, that, like. that's exactly, yes. And and it's cyclical in life too, because I think a lot of us like get away from it and then we forget how much we loved it. And then we get something very simple, like, oh, my nephew caught a garter snake outside. And the next thing you know, we're like, I'm going to breed cyclora iguanas, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever the heck maybe. But, but, Here's my question. You you get back in. Let's go back in time. Brian comes back to California from Hawaii and where you're not allowed to have reptiles. Now you have them again. How many until you bought the queen is your snake that is the clown pied? You said she cost $5,000. A little more than that. More than $5,000. And you bought it from the Sutherlands, mm-hmm. which is like a top breeder in the country. What I didn't num- know that at the time. I just knew they had the snake that I thought I'm, was the I'm just most saying, badass looking snake. A, it's a heck of a snake. <laughs> That's my point. So, but what number snake was that? Was that your first snake back? Your tenth snake back? What was that? Three. Third snake back. Okay, this is what you accidentally did correctly. You just started to get back into it, and you bought a five thousand plus dollar snake. Okay, this is why I'm saying you did that right. The truth of the matter is, we have a certain amount of expendable cash, and that's different depending on what kind of different person it is. 
But when you fall hard into the reptile addiction, that cash goes away. What I think most people do wrong is they're like, no, no, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to be reasonable. I'm only buying this snake for $500, not the $5,000 one. And then they buy 10 of those snakes. And then when they're out of money, they're like, I have to take care of 10 snakes. (laughs) So what I think you accidentally did right was blow your wad on a couple of snakes. And now you're forced to enjoy them at the individual, you know, snake by snake level because you've only got a couple of them and you have no more expendable cash (laughs) but you also didn't take on that many expenses so it's not crushing you you're not like oh no you know i'm getting burnt out so you only have a couple you just have no cash to spend on them so you're forced to like learn everything i mean you i could probably give you a pen and paper with a outline of a ball python with every scale in place. And I bet you could color in where all of her pattern is. You've stared at her that oh, hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly. There's this little splotch, especially right like towards the back of her body. It's a little, it's a little like Cindy. I call That's it Cindy. the cloaca. Stop looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> little Cindy Crawford type mole back there. And then on right on at her mid back, there's like this F hole. It looks like. It's what's, it's called there's an, an F hole. An F hole. It's it's part of a violin. Like if you look at a violin, there's that hole that lets the sound resonate out of the instrument, and she has one of those right on her back. It's the most prominent feature on her back. And um, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I, I'm correct. Yes, you're correct. Basically, the people that dive in hard and get fifty snakes can't do that. The guy that blows his wad on one. So, anyways, my point is moral of the story. Just buy the most expensive snake. If your budget, if you're like thinking, oh, my budget's like five to $700, you need to take the top number, multiply by five, and buy a snake for that much. It was definitely... Uh, and then you'll be happy. You're 100% right that I did it by accident because it wasn't. there was no rational. I wasn't thinking, oh, it's an investment. I was, In fact, I don't think I've ever said that I've bought a snake as an investment, except for maybe a video I made that was your idea. Um, there was- <laughs> no, I don't think you said you bought it as an investment. You were just no, talking about how you could... Invest like how you could use a snake as an investment. Maybe, um, but but anyway, that yeah, that that particular the queen. I saw her. It would, I didn't even know what her price was at the moment. I just saw a picture because they didn't say a price on it. it they had her listed on the right. website. It said inquire. You know. Yeah. I was like, that is the snake that I want. And <laughs> and then when Wad I saw the price blown. tag, I saw the price tag. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> how? How am I going to make that work? I used to joke around all the time. I'd go to these reptile shows, and it was like I would see, especially when I was younger, I would see an animal that I had no clue what it was. I'm like, I like that. And then the price tag is always like, way up there. Everything on the table is 50 bucks, and that one's 10,000. And I'm like, why? Can't I just love American toads or something that lives outside greatest tree frogs? You know what I mean? Like, my gosh. Yeah, that was that was funny, and then I got to meet meet Colette, who I've ended up doing a Triple B TV interview with, you know, years after Colette Sutherland, superhero of the yeah, reptile industry. She is awesome. I need what an it, awesome. Lady. I need to get some time together for like my daughters are are pretty legit. They're like serious into it. I don't know if if Colette would be up for it, but I'd love them to be able to just kind of pick her brain a little bit. I think I think she would be. She's pretty freaking cool, man. Yeah, she's a pretty cool lady. I I like how she 
laughs with Dan all the time because she's like, oh, yeah, people come up and they're like, hey, Dan, what about this? What about that? And uh, regarding her reptile projects. And they you know, kind of like ignore her because she's a woman or whatever. And they oh, she's the brains the behind the freaking. She's the geneticist, man. Yeah. So well, and I don't know. Well, he I don't know too, which. But... Yeah, and, and I don't know. I don't want to put Dan down by any means. Dan's also super cool. My first interaction with Dan, like he heard from somebody else somewhere that I was looking for a one of those little chalk pens to write, you know, whatever the the name of the animal on the display case. And he oh. comes over, but he's like, "Yeah, hey, I heard you're looking for a chalk pen. Here you go." Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I just I just thought it was cool that, you know, she basically admitted to using her husband to be the masculine front to take the customer's money because like, hey, you want to talk to a man? The price just doubled. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you a little more backstory on the queen. Um, that I don't know if you know or not. That was actually the first reptile show I ever went to in my life was to no. go to Pomona. To I had spoken with her beforehand to meet her to get that snake. That was cool. the first reptile show I ever went to in my life. I think the- I did hear, didn't you see a different one, and then you wanted it, and then you arranged the sale, and then you were going to pick it up there or something? Mm, there was no, no, there was no different one. It, oh. was, it was that snake that I found, and it was... Well, how'd you find her? Online? Online, yeah. Oh, okay. I was doing all kinds of... Like, I looked at a lot at Garrick DeMeyer's site, and um, yeah. you know, obviously BHB was a big site on there. And uh, Garrick DeMeyer is another great guy. You know, he used to be super into the super into super dwarfs back in the day. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they all fell by the weight. Well, so I have some like I actually have some old school, hundred percent pure superdoors from Garrick DeMeyer's line sitting right over here. Oh, crazy! No, I knew he's yeah. doing like the Crested Gecko thing, of course. I get but... in there and scoop them all up. <laughs> no, I, I had no idea. Yeah, they're they're cool. They're unique. They're really dark and yeah. That's a that's a nice guy too. I was thankful to do an interview with him as well. That's a nice guy. Super yeah. nice guy. Well, when I fell into these animals, because I didn't get them from him directly, but I, I got somebody who had gotten a lot of stuff from him back in the day. And I, you know, being me, I got to verify everything. So I ended up calling him up. And it's funny because I wasn't his customer. I wasn't, you know, patronizing him with my money or anything. But yeah, he was just excited that someone is still excited enough about his old school Superdome bloodlines to scoop them all up and get the project going again. So, yeah, he went out through all the history of all those things, going all the way back, and it was pretty fun to just sit down and, and talk about that stuff. That's actually, that's what I love about this stuff. Like, people are like, oh, you're into so many, because I have seven localities of dwarf and super dwarf retics and a few other localities that I work with. Oh, I was going to say, is that it? I feel like there's more here right now than well, I have like, seven. I think I have 10 pure localities in this room at the moment, but okay. seven of them, there are only seven dwarf and super dwarf, like technically from those subspecies localities in the U.S. So I have a representation of all of them. But it's it, I kind of fell into that accidentally, you know, me, um, because... I was just a geek about the bloodlines. Like, ooh, look at Garrick's. They're so such chaotic neck patterns, and they're so dark and gravelly. How, how long ago were we talking here that you saw that you got Superdoors from Garrick? I never. I I appreciated his Superdoors back in the day, and I used to follow all his projects. But then he got out, and I was super sad because this was circa oh twenty years ago or fifteen years ago. Okay. Or Tim, Tim, it might have been twelve, and it might have been twenty one. I don't want to hear about it in a text. Thank you, Tim. <laughs> it was roundabout a long time ago that I like basically when I was a kid, just admiring stuff. I always liked his super doors, and it was one of those things where I was like, "Oh, I'll get some of those someday." 
And then by the time I got around to being in a position where I could do it, he wasn't working with them anymore. So that was something that was always kind of hanging over my head. I was like, oh, I never did get any of those. So when I had the opportunity to start reintroducing that bloodline into my now established collection of dwarf and super dwarf retakes, it was a big feather in my hat. It was I was really excited about that. So, wow. But that's that's why I like it. So like the like Kalatoas, for example, that's most likely what his stuff is. They came in before locality data was known. But the the Kalatoa super dwarfs, I mean I have I think like five bloodlines. And it's just because like you're looking at you know, up close and personal at the vent of your animal over there, the cloaca, you know what I mean? She's got this little beauty mark on her butt right there. So <laughs> sexy. You know, I I sit there and geek out about like, why do the Travis Kubis line animals look like this? And the Garrick de Meyer line ones look like that. But this pair of wild caught ones over here, I have like this. And then I'm like messing with my incubation temperatures and trying to mad scientist why they look certain ways over here and I don't know. There's just certain bloodlines, and it takes forever to do this. Like in dog, in the dog breeding world, it takes four generations before you can claim something as your own line. So, like, if I want to say reach out reptiles line or whatever, I would have had to selectively breed something for four generations to do that. Well, that's mm. just that's like the longest superdwarf projects that exist for the most part now. You know, I think is like six, maybe seven generations. So there's not going to be many lines out there. In a reptile, it's a little different because the animals come out of the wild. So yeah, if I have, in my, yeah, from my understanding, uh, like if you have a line, it's something that you were the first to have in captivity. Yeah, yeah. and so it's a, so I can have a bloodline. My first breeding, if I had two wild caught animals, and then they breed, and everyone says, "Well, what bloodline is it?" Well, they're the ones from reach out reptiles. Right. So that stuff's a little different. But if you're talking about, let's say, like a morph project. You know, like, I mean, what I'm thinking is like, so some of my heroes from back in the day would, you know, as far as bloodline stuff goes, would be like Jason Reed, for example. Everyone who's into Reed ticks, no, they used to call them Reed ticks from him. And they had like, that came with his nickname and it wasn't a marketing scam. It was just an attempt to describe the animal. And the amazing thing was it didn't matter what morph, locality, he did dwarf stuff, he did mainland stuff, whatever it was, Jason Reed has a particular taste in animals. So he would pick animals that always ended up looking this certain kind of way. And you could tell whatever project it was, once he'd worked with it enough, they looked like reed ticks again. Interesting. So it'd be like an anthrax reed tick, a platinum tiger reed tick, you know, and they were just like in that case, chaotic and aberrant and speckly. And those were just traits that he kind of liked. So naturally, his collection evolved in one direction. Like Jay Brewer, for example, he likes bright colors and cleanness. So if you go get an animal from prehistoric pets, you know, everything they were keeping back was like clean, bright color. Not so much contrast, but color. Yeah. And I've got that in my girl Halo, who also happens to have the best temperament of any big snake I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. She's yeah. just special. Like I've got all my all my retics are pretty well tempered. Very well tempered actually. And uh now. Yeah, well that wasn't my snake. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and and she is just on a different level yeah. of, of melanin. She's just like I feel like if there's any snake that I feel is talking to me and speaking to me, it's that's it's Halo. Yeah. It does she say, why do you like the indigos now? Why don't you pay attention to me? Yeah, no, I, I feel like she has a little bit of that. A little bit of that, right? Can, she still comes out often. I can see you. I'm right here. 
Stop tickling the cloaca of that other girl. She's since she is my most mellow, she is in, in the highest enclosure up, so she can't necessarily <laughs> see me messing with the indigos. Oh. It's not on purpose. It's just she's my uh, easiest snake to work uh, with. Clever. So you put that snake up the highest. Ladies, watch out. This guy's a professional. <laughs> oh man. I'm too stupid to pull those kinds of stunts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tim would be like, Garrett, what have you done? <laughs> Yes, Tim. Are you talking about Walton? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see him tomorrow, which nobody knows this now, but we're going to Forest two months ago. And uh, yeah, I just, he's been listening to, I mean, he's a great guy. He's a great guy, man. That guy's awesome. Salt of the earth kind of guy. I'm trying to get Cusco to slap him because he said, No, that's not happening. If I ever need him to slap someone for me, I said, Slap Tim. No, 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 no. He's telling me all my mistakes. Yeah, no, somebody who is. Like, I would want to slap, not Tim. <laughs> it's not doing me any favors None of the if Tims it has to be know. someone you were going to slap anyway. I don't know any Tims that you know that I would ever slap for you. Mm. No. Okay. I only know two Tims that you know, and both of them are unworthy of slapping. Well, like I said. That guy gave me the shirt off his back so that I could go for a run. and it, The slap stings more on bare skin. That's perfect. Slap him on the nipple. <laughs> anyway, no, I love Tim, but he he's listening to all my podcasts. So I did one on Strength and Leos. I just did one on Reptiles and Chill. They've had me on from the ground up. They've had me on Morelli Partner Radio. Blah, so blah, blah. Yeah, well, so special. I'm saying he's following me and then texting me errors, like clerical Good errors. Good job, Tim. Keep it up, Tim. And I got to say, like, I'm embarrassed about some of them. Like, I one, time, be. one time I'm like, you know, this guy and his wife, and he's, like, and he's like, no, no, that wasn't his wife at the time. That's his wife now. The time frame you were talking about, she was different. And I'm like, that's a huge faux pas, Hartle. It's like, we don't talk about that woman anymore. <laughs> How could you do that? I know. It's bad. <laughs> it's bad. So, yeah, it's it's kind of goofy. But like you were saying, like, whoa, what year was this? And I was like, I don't know. 15 years ago and and then he's like i don't know why I he's like 15 years ago time. was the year of this and i was in that alley and i was watching you and that wasn't what happened <laughs> i don't know why i asked you to recall facts from any further back <sighs> than two don't. seconds ago that's just so i'm gonna give this excuse i think it's probably total bull crap this is heartalized too heartalized is a word that we use here in pittsburgh for when you know a story is Obviously, for entertainment purposes, don't think too hard about it, people. It's an art, not a science, okay? That's heartalizing something. Like, my wife gives me a hard time. Like, so there I am on stage in front of a million people. And she's like, it was probably like 200 people. And I'm like, yeah, that's not the, the point is not how many people were actually there. It's how I felt inside. To her point, <laughs> 200 versus a million is quite a different story. Well, I'm dramatic on the inside, and I'm seeing a million people. It was just as traumatic to me as talking. Anyways. So what's the most recent story that you've heartalized? I mean. The last one? Probably five on this podcast. (laughs) I am a heartal. Things come out heartalized. You didn't even get those snakes from Garrick DeMeyer, did you? I told you I didn't get them from Garrick DeMeyer. I said they were Garrick DeMeyer bloodline stuff that I was excited to have after he was working. Tim, I did not buy them or nor say that I bought them directly from Garrick DeMeyer. I'm going to need to take away your mason jar. <laughs> I'm putting a pretty good dent in it here, actually. This stuff is 
stuff is nasty. I don't, know, I don't know why I'm doing this the day before I have to drive to Tinley. Ooh. I mean, that was months ago. Yeah, that was months ago. What are you talking about? That wasn't I current. That's not current. That was a long time ago. We podcast in real time. Yeah, real time. <laughs> <laughs> not Miller time. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> oh, anyway. Well, so I want to talk about, let's just hash this out. We don't get to hang out too much very often, but cool. this uh, locational sponsorship, I, I think it's a fun way to go BS in somebody's living room or whatever. What, yeah. what are some of the possibilities that you see there? I mean, I think it's a great idea. I, I see endless possibilities. I see well, where, podcasting wh- from a helicopter flying over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, that's the it, first one. You can't handle when I say too much into the microphone. <laughs> How you get a podcast from a helicopter? Sorry, we had the whole episode with the background where there's crickets the entire time. We could have helicopter blades. I chopping. actually found that soothing. I went back and listened. I, to that. I yeah, kinda liked it. I didn't listen to it much except for to edit it and make sure. No, well, not edit. We don't. Just to be clear, we do not edit. He's hardalizing people. No, he's hardalizing no, right now. We, from the moment I hit record to the moment I hit stop, everything goes in. When I say editing, I mean like making sure the levels were good, which I hope is happening this time because I've messed it up pretty bad. Still learning. Mr. Perfectionist that messes everything up. Yeah, no, but seriously, like flying in a (laughs) helicopter, podcasting, flying over, I don't know where, wherever we happen to be going. Whoever is going to sponsor us that has a helicopter. That sounds like fun to do over the bayou. Do we have any Louisiana Mm. helicopter listeners? In or, our or even, even a fan boat, listen. even a fan boat, we could just shoot out on a fan Isn't boat. The noisiest you want? No, I, we could turn the fan. We boat are sweating off. in my reptile room right now because there was like a, the hum of a mini fridge in the office. So, but now you want a podcast from a fan boat. Turn the fan boat. We'll fan boat out into the swamp, push past wherever we need to get to, and then turn the engine off, turn the fan off, and just float and podcast in the middle of the swamp. All right, fan boat fans, we can bring this thing anywhere. That's the great thing. We don't need to plug into a wall with this. I can bring this thing anywhere. Okay. I've got it plugged in now for convenience sake. I can bring extra batteries. We can plug it in wherever we want to go. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Anywhere. Yeah. So the idea is, and I, I think it's a fairly reasonable, but where's our first potential sponsor? Where are they located? Uh, Idaho, right? Border of Idaho and Washington. So you're real close to Washington, Idaho, yeah. Idaho border. Yeah. So that'll be pretty fun. I love Idaho. So that's the first one. Brian now is looking for sponsors in Australia. So if you want a couple of Yanks to come down and talk about nothing in your living room for some reason and you're willing to pay for it, let us know. Yeah, actually, I'm already I'm already there pretty much. So if we just get Garrett over, then that'll seal the deal. There you go. Half price special. <laughs> Wait a I better go get my I better go get my uh passport updated. Did you hear what happened with that Canadian show? You went, didn't you? I went to the Canadian C-R-B-E? show. What happened? Yeah, what happened? I was supposed to be I, there. Oh, what? And then I had Nobody told me that. You didn't tell me that. Nobody told me that. Well, it was quite what? A, it was quite an embarrassment in the end. Well, you know that show's like 4 hours from my house. It's closer to get to that show than it is to Tinley. It's half the distance to that show from my house as it is to Tinley. Oh. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You could so rent a car for the day, drive up, do the show, come back, and drop it off. I feel like you're hardalizing that part, too. I don't feel like it's that close. Four-hour drive? Are you sure about that? Well, it's like, yeah, it's like, well, Niagara is like four hours. So however long it takes to get to that so part of the city. So six hours, right. Pro- yeah. Well, I mean, probably. Time and a half. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is this really that critical and I that detail? I mean, maybe if you're trying to meet somebody at a certain time somewhere, yeah. Anyway, but you my were point supposed is, to go to that show? I was supposed to go to that show. I had what plans happened? to go to that show. Yeah. I had meetings with people in and around the show because, you know, I knew nothing about this. I knew nothing well, about this. I didn't this. want to fart around with you too much because I had actual work to do. 
But, <sighs> but then I'm like, oh, right. You know, the problem with those 10-year passports is that you're like... They expire after 10 years. Right. And you're like, has it been 10 years already? And then I'm looking at like my high school football picture in the passport, and I'm like, well, it's been 10 years. <laughs> and how soon? Wait, so you you were supposed to go, and the other reason it didn't because your passport wasn't up. That was it. Yeah. I well, you I know you can expedite those things. No, I found out like the day before. I'm like, crap. Who who are you? <laughs> Come on. People are texting me right now saying, "Are you ready for Tinley?" And I'm like, "Why is everyone asking me that? I don't leave till tomorrow morning." Yeah, but that's you've been working on your booth. You've got your bike. There's been lots of planning going into this like well before the show yeah but that's the fun part <laughs> i don't, I don't want to sit down and like put I, it into google Maps there's a huge yet. there's a huge part of me right now that does not believe a word that's coming out of your mouth about this canada show i didn't hear a single oh word about goodness. you being there. i heard about a lot of people that were supposed to potentially be there that didn't end up making it the, you my, were not one of my them. meeting was with uh kb reptiles they didn't mention it either oh, thanks guys <laughs> They said Joel was supposed to come. There was a whole bunch of people that were supposed to come, and I heard about all of them, uh, but you were not on the list. Well, you can fact check me on this one. Tim, Tim, fact check. Call them. How dare oh, you? I will be. We'll, we, we're going to see those guys real soon, and I'll, I'll be like, was Garrett supposed to be there? I'm going to slap your meatball. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> your greasy balls, my, these are the these are the cleanest jeans I owned until your damn greasy ball slapped on it. And I now, told you not to touch that. Yeah, and now they're no longer the they're the lightest pair of jeans I own, and now they've got a smudge. That's what you get for trailering stuff. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything? Uh, do you have anything really important that you want to go over? <laughs> <laughs> really important. To who? To to you, to you. Is there anything you want to tell me? Because uh, now uh, this is the first time hearing about this Canada thing. Okay, I have something important to you. It actually is going back to your educational stuff, and the reason why I'm thinking about this is fresh on my mind because I was talking to Brian Gundy about it. Brian, you remember this? We're talking about the we're talking about the uh, wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove thing. I was telling uh, I, you. I remember the basic conversation, but I don't know the detail. I where remember. I took that dog and said it was an exotic animal and lied to all the children. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you got to do shows like I used to do. What? No, I don't want to do anything like you I brought like a puppy, do. and I put mascara on. I told everyone it was a baby raccoon, but not a raccoon. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's a true story. They were called tanukis, and they were there was a whole scandal where they were like fake fur, tanuki. but it was actually this like Chinese raccoon no, dog. Tanuki. tanuki was in the uh, Mario Brothers 3. That was a suit you could get. It was a special suit in Mario 3. Like, there's the raccoon suit. Are you serious? Yeah, and then there was the tanuki suit. Which is funny because... Those animals were skinned for their furs to make suits that were supposedly faux fur. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. But it was real fur. Well, that part's actually pretty <laughs> terrible. But I meant funny queer, not funny ha-ha. Well, it makes sense. I mean, that where is Nintendo well, made? Well, anyways. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Light bulb. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I'm pretty sure the Tanukis are Chinese, not Japanese, but whatever. Either way, you, you could, uh, yeah, with the Tanuki suit, you could press down and B, and you would turn into a statue that the Koopa Troopers would walk right by. They wouldn't even see you. I'm taking it back to you. All, the, all you folks that played It's the, it's the animal that went extinct that nobody ever even saw. Oh. But everyone was touching them, feeling them, wearing them as the liner of their hoodie all along. Dude, this is going full circle to my childhood right now. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> 
Were you a Tanuki in another life? No, I, I standing became in a, the wall. I became a Tanuki invisible. in Mario Brothers Three. Oh, okay, okay. When I put on a Tanuki so, suit. So, where was I? Heck, was I going with this crazy you were, rabbit? You want, you're trying to get me to do reptile shows oh, oh, like oh, you oh, do oh, them. Yeah. So I took nine. a dog. I took a dog. That <laughs> <laughs> I took a dog and I painted it. And it's the dog that's upstairs, Clementine, my sister's dog. And we painted it. We told everyone it was a tanuki. And the, the group was high schoolers. And we're like, no, these are these are the rare raccoon dogs. And for, for the record, her dog's like really freaky. We actually, it was a poodle that got pregnant by something. We always said it was a raccoon because it doesn't look like a dog. But <laughs> so it was pretty believable. And we're like, no, this one's white because it's like a white poodly looking dog that we painted. We're like, yeah, it doesn't quite look like the Google pictures because this is an alpine tanuki <laughs> with its winter coat. And we had a volunteer come up, this like 15-year-old girl, and, and she was wearing one of the, the hoodies with the fake fur in there. And we're like, pet the fur on your hoodie. Now pet the tanuki. And she's like, it's the Oh my god! And then what dude. I did was I, <laughs> where where was the, where did this happen this and was, when? This was at a. Oh, why are you asking me? Because details? I don't believe you. Do you want to <laughs> st- Do you want the story to unravel before it's even done? Okay, finish the. It was Angela's crest at a campground a while ago, and um, yeah. So, anyways, I I had made up this whole sad. Are you eating chips in front of your microphone? You complain about me making the pee sound. Also, those chips taste like fish. They definitely mm. fry fish. Mm. There was there. A, there was a P button in Super Mario Three as well. P, the P sound. You hit the P, and like all of a sudden, all the bricks turn into coins. I don't like the way your brain works. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Finish the story. Yeah, well, I I basically had printed off like a bunch of like sign up for the military forms. I made everyone sad by p- making them touch this dog. I told them it was a Chinese raccoon, and then I passed around these military forms, and they all signed up for the military. Then I told them the truth. What the? F- what is wrong with you? And that's exactly the reaction you just had. Is the reaction all these children just had? And I was like, "Look, kids, you're about to become adults. You need to wake up, smell the roses. There's reality, and there's the way you think things are. I'm just the guy with animals. You will literally believe anything I say." And I held up this clipboard and I said, "I just signed you up for the military, and you didn't even know it. And you're worried about some raccoon dog. And this is like a, a weird puppy that we put paint on." And they're like, "No." And we wipe the paint off and they're like, we've been duped. But the point was, I, I like that. So I, this was my point. So that was a unique crowd. I don't know if you're going to hit that crowd, but I came, I, every time I did an educational show for me, I didn't want to do a reptile show that was just show and tell. I wanted to have a moral to the story every time. So I would pick a moral to the story when I would do the show. So that show, my moral was as wise as a serpent, as innocent as a dove. And they were high schoolers, and I wanted to teach them how to navigate their what they were coming onto as the adult world, right? And so I said, you know, you can't trust everybody. You got to learn to think for yourself. Some of this information is good, others are not. And what are you going to do about it? I mean, there actually is uh, this the situation with the Tanukis and everything was real. They can get passionate about do something about it, but don't just sign yourself over to someone else because they told you a sad story. And I had snakes in there and there was all this other stuff. But basically, whatever age group that I had, like I do this when my my kids' elementary school wants me to come in because I'm like the local reptile dad. And they're like, please, the kids love seeing your animals. I'm like, I have 200 of the same snake. You gotta, there's got to be a better reptile person than me. Plus, like half of them are like wild-caught ones that try to eat you. But anyway, um, 
I sit down and I think, okay, what do I know about my daughter's third grade class? Like things that I hear about them coming home, some of the struggles and things that I think, and I, I think as a reptile educator, when I stand in front of these kids and I hold up a live animal in a hands-on display in front of them, they're going to listen to everything I say and remember it for the rest of their lives. <laughs> you think? Brian, am I right? You think that all, every one of those kids just remember everything you're going to say? They remember a lot. I mean... I bet you that they remember my talk with the reptiles better than anything their third grade teacher said that year. That's possible. Do I'm you remember to... anything that your third grade teacher ever taught you? Or do you remember the animal assembly? I remember a little bit of both, to be fair. You know, I, my brain is foggy. And <laughs> yeah, your, your recollection of, of kind of lost out on multiplication. Is, <laughs> your recollection of past events is highly questionable. I, so I told you. I, I appreciate the story. I just not that I don't appreciate the story. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is, like, as my point is, when you do that, you have authority to burn a memory and a lesson into their brain through the use of the same connection with animals that you said you use to get happiness, you can educate them with something. Now, do you want them to know random facts that they can learn on? No, no, know, no. That's not definitely not the plan. Or do you want them to learn something that, that they'll a, remember for the rest of their lives? The yes. kind of thing that you're like, my football coach in high school used to tell me this, and I looked up to him because he helped me develop that's as an definitely, individual. Definitely want to wonder. I highly appreciate what you're saying right now, 100%. Yeah. Well, I told you it was important. Okay. You asked for important. Yeah, I did. Uh, you came so full circle and to me delivered. This, to me, this is pretty important. And it started with me lying to a bunch of children. But whatever <laughs> it takes, I mean, my methods may be controversial, but there's no denying the effectiveness. Yeah. Well, cheers. And, I, uh, I have so many people that come back and they tell me, even if I just used like a stupid reptile analogy when I was doing, because I do a fair amount of public speaking in different, all kinds of different venues, more than most people know. But they're like, no, no, you told me leopard geckos were like that one time. And I'm like, I did? And they're like, yeah, you said it was like this. And I was like, we are? And they're like, yes, you used a leopard gecko to explain the meaning of life to me. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't even remember that. And they're like, oh, that really cheapens the moment. I'm like, well, I mean, if you liked it, remember it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that was the thing you thought was most important to bring up because that is the number one reason that I even go out and talk to other people, period, is that... It's some way I do hope. I mean, I don't, I'm very silly a lot of the time when I'm out with people, very silly, but that's just me enjoying myself. Um, but in my, in the heart of my heart, in my deepest part of my soul, I really want to be able to inspire people to do the best things they can with their own lives. Cause I feel like I'm fortunate enough to, fortunate enough to have been able to figure it out for my own life where I am enjoying virtually every moment of my life, even when I'm sad and crying, like I'm enjoying it. You know what I mean? It's, uh, and I really want that for everybody. I really do. I want everybody to have that. And so whatever way I can communicate that to other people and help them find that for themselves, um, yeah, that's what I would really like to do. And if I can do that through this educational program with the reptiles to the kids and help lots of people gain that, whatever way I find to make that happen, which which is going to be a challenge for me, I think. I'm, I'm Public speaking has been a challenge for me my entire life. And um, that's a big reason that I'm excited and nervous to do it is because I it's uncomfortable for me, but at the same time, I feel like if I can do it and do it well, that is the effect that I'll have on people and the world. And that's really what I want is to have that because the more that you can inspire other people to find that whatever thing it is that helps them 
not just cope, but enjoy their existence in the world, then everybody else is better off for it. Because the number one problems in the world that stem from the number one problems in the world stem from people that have not figured out how to enjoy their own lives in the world of people and uh, end up ruining it for, I hate to go super dark here, but that, that ends up turning into to people ruining many other people's lives because they haven't figured out how to enjoy their own life. And if you can curb that as much as possible in this world, then, then the, world of, the world for people. And I, I like to emphasize people because the world itself, the earth, will be fine without us. The, world, the, the earth doesn't give a shit about people. But if you're a person in this world, you might give a, a crap about the world of people. Can you imagine if the whole earth took a shit? <laughs> Actually, isn't that how Hawaii was made? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a fairly accurate analogy. I had to rein you in there. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an extremely accurate analogy. The, the world is currently taking a shit on the big island, <laughs> and it's beautiful. There's so Watch many. Watch out, guys. <laughs> There's a hot, steamy pile. <laughs> and it's fertile. Super <laughs> fertile. All kinds of life Listen. growing out of that pile. It's like tilapia poo. <laughs> anyway, that was my thing, is that you're going to have a platform. And I'm telling you because you're. I don't think you understand quite yet not like that you don't but but people don't the the impact that you have i was always amazed by it when people would come back to me years later and repeat something that i never even remembered saying anymore but they're like no that was like a huge moment for me it was like a it shaped you know the my future you know like i am who i am today because you said that while you held a tree frog or whatever the case may be and when you go up with an animal in front of kids at school I don't know why that's important. It was important to me. It's going to be very important to those kids too. But anything you say when you're holding that animal is, I mean, it's a platform that allows you to speak directly to their soul. So rather than giving them a show and tell and some information cards that you pulled off of Wikipedia, I would encourage you to think about the audience, the age group, struggles that they have, maybe the area they're in, like if you're in a low-income public school type inner city maybe area and what those demographics are versus, you know, high private school, whatever, because you're going to run into all kinds of situations with those sorts of things. Um, what is the audience and what do you think they need to know? And then if you can figure out how to tie the message from the animal into what you think that group of people really need to know to live their lives to the fullest do it amen let's end it i like it yeah podcast over see you guys bye thanks jason this stuff sucks <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>